wonderful to see so many altar boys, isn't it? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I was pondering over the gospel this past week. The Sunday always has a lot to speak about. There is the epistle, my strength is made perfect in weakness, which could easily be an entire book of theology of what that means. And then the gospel reading, this well-known story of Lazarus and the rich man. But then I received a letter from the monastery this week. Some of you might have received it as well. Each year they send out a, a letter from the Monastery of St. John in Goldendale, and they offer that you can write names for the 40 liturgies to be commemorated during those 40 liturgies. And St. Ephraim of Katanakia was quoted in this letter, and his quote is so profound, I'd just like to, and also so related to the gospel reading today, I would just like to read through it a little bit with you. St. Ephraim was a very recent saint, and he talks about commemorating names. Um, he calls them soul papers, which are the, the pieces of papers that have names on them. And these are commemorated every divine liturgy uh, in the commemorations, the preparation of the gifts for the living and for the departed. So he begins by saying, the priest who commemorates many names, I kiss not only his hands, but also his feet. They are not mere papers. They are called soul papers. Souls are given rest, and souls are saved through them. In a way, commemoration papers are tickets. What a profound impact we have upon the departed. He's saying that we give them rest, and that they can even be saved through our prayers. And not just in the liturgy commemorations, every prayer that we offer for the departed has profound effect upon them. And there are many stories of saints and holy people and even just pious, normal people who have the departed come and visit them in a dream, thanking them for their prayers and for the consolation that they've received. St. Ephraim goes on to explain why our prayers are so important. He says, the soul repents even in hell. Remember the parable of the rich man and Lazarus? The rich man repents in hell where he was cast because of his way of life and not by God. He perceives that he lived the wrong way and he asks the righteous, the saved, the crucified Lazarus to give him rest. The soul has repentance, but it does not have a way to express it. This parable has such amazing contrasts between Lazarus and the rich man. Lazarus lived a life of repentance. The rich man was unrepentant. But the parable isn't ultimately about rich versus poor. Neither is it about living a life of ease versus a life of struggles. Though undoubtedly a life of ease and a life of wealth do have serious struggles for the spiritual life troubles for the spiritual life. The parable is ultimately about the disposition, the internal and external disposition of Lazarus and the rich man. Lazarus was repentant. He lived a life of repentance there at the doorway. He didn't have to, 
he could have been bitter and envious. And I think in a worldly way, we would say, why wouldn't he be bitter and envious? He has a miserable life in a worldly sense. But he wasn't bitter and envious. How do we know this? Because when he died, he was carried up by angels into the bosom of Abraham. His repentant life was revealed as he departed this life. But on the other side, the rich man lived an unrepentant life. And so he was in anguish in hell. As a side note, it's interesting that by God's providence, we're reading the story of the rich man and Lazarus on this day called Halloween in our culture. Because Halloween is very much fixated, focused on death and on anguish and on all of these horrendous things. If you don't believe me, just drive through a neighborhood. Eventually you'll see a house where you go, that is the epitome of anguish and despair and death. But enough of that side note. Those who live in this life and don't repent have only one hope. You. You are their hope. Why are our prayers so important for them? Because as Saint Ephraim says, those without bodies cannot repent. Repentance is an action of the body. Metanya. Just saying the word is a combination of two things, a physical action and also what the word itself means. A changing of the mind, a changing of the noose, a U-turn of the noose, turning away from sin and towards God. It's an action of the body because our noose is a part of our body. Sometimes we think our mind and our body are not, they're like two separate entities. In fact, our mind is a part of our body. That's orthodox understanding of the human person. Our soul is something different that is intermingled with our body. When we depart this life, we don't leave this life with our mind. We leave with our soul. And so our mind and the highest peak of our mind, which is our noose, our faculty of sensing and seeing truth, of experiencing God, our noose, which is in that word metania, that's the second part of the word, has to do with the noose. We can no longer do this. We're no longer able to repent because we don't have our body with us. St. Ephraim continues and explains this more. He says, you see, the body assists us in repentance. It's the brother of the soul. What does a brother do for his sister? He watches over her. He protects her. He honors her. He cares for her. He loves her. In the same way, the body fasts. It is abstinent. It keeps a vigil. It kneels. It offers. It helps. It confesses. It accompanies the soul to the wedding with its bridegroom at Holy Communion. Repentance is a disposition of the whole person, body and soul, and every aspect of the body, including the noose. When one repents, actions follow the contrition. If we really repent, there's prayers, there's tears, there's confession, there's seeking of forgiveness, there's a change in our behavior and actions, and there's most importantly, a flowering of humility. All of these things are expressed with our body. So we can't have repentance without our body, and this is why God has given us our body, among many other blessings of our body, so that we can repent. 
We see this clearly in Saint Ephrem's life. For those of you who don't know Saint Ephrem of Kathanakia, he was of the last century, born in 1912, went to the Holy Mountain in his early 20s and was sponsored a monk in the 1930s. And then he lived under two elders, uh, Elder Nikki Foros and Elder Ephrem, who were his elders that he lived under for 40 years. And he lived in complete obedience. One of the, the spiritual aspects that he talks about the most is that of obedience. There's a book that is written that has all of his counsels called Obedience is Life. Not very American concept for sure. And he lived quite a struggle under obedience to his elders. They were far from perfect people. They were good and holy people, but they weren't perfect. And so there are many ways in which he struggled in his obedience. But through that struggle of obedience, he was sanctified. And his elders had enough discernment to say they made him a priest or had him ordained. And then they also let him go to serve liturgies with St. Joseph the Hezekas. And so he became the spiritual child of St. Joseph the Hezekas and served liturgy for him many years. Elder Ephrem reposed in 1998, so very recently. And there are stunning pictures of him. He has this completely white beard and always in every photograph just a very piercing gaze. You can see his holiness in his photos. But the fruit of, of his repentance is seen in his profound humility. He purified his soul so much that, like those miracles that I've read about the Holy Liturgy, miracles like that occurred in his own life. He had admitted to a dear friend that since the first liturgy that he served, he would see the grace of God visibly coming down upon the gifts. Many times he would see the Christ child on the holy patent. Very, very holy and profound example for us. And he was canonized in March 9, 2020. Does anyone remember March 2020? <laughs> he was canonized right before that. So he's a saint for us in this time, undoubtedly. He was canonized along with St. Joseph the Hezekiah, St. Uh, Daniel of Katanakia, St. Sophroni of Essex, and St. Hieronymus of Simonopetra. Wonderful saints of the last 20th century. I'll read his final quote, because I'm not yet done with his quote. Since the soul, although repentant, cannot act, we will do it. We will do the spiritual labor. We will show love through our charitable acts. We will do a prayer rope. We will light a candle in the name of the person. We will give his name at the divine liturgy. And suddenly, like an enormous wave, the mercy of God will transfer the soul to another height, to another state. The decision, the judgment of God is bent and his mercy prevails. His love will be moved by our love and his mercy by our acts of mercy. God's mercy is immeasurable. If you recall from last week, quoted from St. John Chrysostom, talking about our sinfulness is like a spark dropped in the ocean of God's mercy. Or St. Isaac the Syrian had a similar image. This strong flowing fountain is God's mercy, and our sinfulness is a handful of earth tossed into the fountain. 
It won't stop the fountain. God desires to give mercy. And we who are still living can repent on behalf of those people. Because I assure you, every person is repentant after they're reposed. Just like the rich man in the parable, every single person sees the reality of everything when they leave this life. But they no longer have their bodies, and we do. So we need to pray for them. So even for those who don't repent in this life, God has so much mercy that he gives them a path towards salvation. The path is through you and I. We are the ones to pray for them, to bring them to repentance, as St. Ephraim says, to bring them their soul to another height, to another state, by the enormous wave of the mercy of God. So may we take this with all boldness and seriousness, and likewise may we repent for ourselves as well, so that we may be like Lazarus rather than the rich man. And God's mercy may stream upon us as well. Amen.